Hello and welcome to the Poet Delayed podcast. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm the host, and I am here with my aunt Cash again. Um, those of you who've listened to other episodes might remember her from episode number four about uh, uncon- my poem "Unconditional." We had a great visit then, and I'm excited to have her back with me today. Um, today, we're actually reading. I'm going to be reading a poem. We're going to be discussing uh, a, a poem that I wrote. Actually, it was inspired by her and my Uncle Russ. It's called Beacons. And um, we're just going to talk about you know, the, the importance of having a beacon and being a beacon in life. And uh, we're going to start out by writing, reading the poem. So let me kind of get here. I should have had. Oh, there it is. All right. Okay. So the poem is called Beacons. How are you, Aunt Cash? I'm good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here you go. Beacons. Um, in the days when my horizons shifted, I remember you and the gifts you brought to me, tenderness, love, and protection, but in my youthful confusion, knew not how to receive them. I had known them from a different horizon, but that horizon went dark in an instant without warning, though not entirely there was protection still, but love and tenderness, those beacons were extinguished, it seemed, until they flamed up again. But now on your horizon, and without waiting, you brought them to me, unconditionally and and ad infinitum. Hard to easy for me to say, unconditionally and ad infinitum. Um, should practice that. So, uh, so as I said, so I wrote this poem, and Cash, I think it was I gave it to you for your birthday last year. Um, I just one night was I don't know we had talked before that about I don't know wasn't long before that that I had interacted with you and Uncle Russ and then one night actually I think what it was is I had started writing poetry more um I started writing poetry more consistently and I asked if you because you have your degree an English degree and I know that you love poetry and you love literature and so I remember asking if you would read some of my poetry give me thoughts and kind of critique it and you'd been doing that and then one night I just was sitting there thinking about you guys and this poem just kind of came out pretty quickly. And so to give a little bit of background on this uh, to, to our listeners is, you know, so I, as many of you know, when I, my mom passed away when I was 10 years old. We were living in Germany at the time. And Uncle Russ is my mom's brother, little brother, but oldest little brother. And she passed away on April 8th of 1984, and I think it was April 11th, Wednesday. We were on an airplane from Germany back to Utah, so our whole world changed. You know, my mom died, and now I'm living in a completely different place. And so everything just shifted for me. My horizons shifted, and I remember at the time not really understanding the impact that my mom's death had on me or would have on me. And I, I, I remember um, shutting down, like I didn't realize it at the time, but just not really thinking about my mom. We didn't talk about my mom much after she died. But I do remember you and Uncle Russ just reaching out and I remember feeling love and I remember feeling comfort and I remember feeling um, acceptance and 
I always loved going to your house. I always felt comfortable at your house. I always felt um, welcome at your house. And I felt love and comfort. And I don't know that I really recognized it as that when I was a kid, but I just know that I felt it. I know that I felt like this is a place I want to be. This is a comfortable place uh, that, I, that I want to be. And so I, in, in that sense, you you guys created, you know, an anchor kind of in my life, I think, to where I I had this feeling that I came back to a lot. And, you know, in my 20s, I lived with you guys for a year and a half or so. And, uh, and I've, you've just been in my life ever since. A little, it's amazing, though, when you get old and get married, you kind of get your own kids, your own family, things start to taper off a bit. So there was some time where we weren't as consistently together, but I've always felt that I could come here. I could always come to your house and it's always been that way, unconditional. And so in that sense, you and Uncle Russ were beacons to me, gave me, you know, I guess the other metaphor is the anchor. Like I said, you are a beacon, you're an anchor to me and kind of helped me, um, feel that love and that tenderness that I don't really feel like I felt at home or many other places as you know as I was growing up so so that's been my experience with you guys and, and that's kind of my background and that's what the inspiration of the poem was so I am interested you know as I've talked about you and Uncle Russ being beacons in your life do you have people who you would consider beacons? And if so, why were they beacons to you? What did you, what, what did they provide to you that you felt like this person is a beacon in my life? And, and how do you feel, what do you feel a beacon is in your life? I very first off would say my parents, my parents were such strong beacons. Uh, it's, it's interesting just this past week, my sister sent us a poem <laughs> that she had written that I think talks a lot about the beacons that my parents were. I mean, her, her first line is, she says, born to incredible parents, a war hero father raised in turmoil, more than willing to learn fatherhood from vivacious hell and eight years his junior, smart and funny and faithful. With their strong and exuberant love, they created a powerful home, secure and happy, built on foundations of faith and laughter, learning and love. And it goes on. And I, I just feel like I was so blessed to have that kind of a beacon in my parents who, who like she says, my father grew up in a home that had a lot of turmoil, but he was able to see this isn't what he wanted in his home and was able to create this secure home filled with love and laughter and light. And we, you know, she, I mean, this is really an epic poem that my sister wrote that has, she talks about the music that went on in our home. She talks about the food that we ate in our home. She talks about the clever things that our parents would do. She talks about our religious upbringing and, 
at what we would do on Sundays and who we would go visit and how church was set up a little different than it is now and about our travels and my parents we had there were nine kids in our family mm. and we didn't have a lot of money but we went on a trip every year we always went on vacation and they recognized it was a good time to be together and to bind to to bind each other together mm. and we we still we get together with our siblings once a month and this is something that our father started doing 40 years ago and we still get together monthly and it's not every month because this month four of us were out of town but um we still have that connection because we had these parents who were beacons and by the way i remember going to some of your <clears throat> white family meetings they, when and, I was with you. And, and I'm sure that they were just a delight. Yeah, they were. <laughs> and uh, anyway, this this poem that my sister writes where she, and she, and I think something to recognize too is a person that's a beacon. I mean, things weren't perfect. Well, I think things were perfect in our home of imperfect people. Mm. And if that makes sense yeah. to you, it's like, I, I mean, I'm not going to go into details, but had some pretty serious things come up with some of the kids in the family and it didn't stop my parents from giving love unconditionally. It, it caused them to get on their knees a lot more. It caused them to have more worries, but there was always unconditional love. And I love the line in your poem where this, the gifts you brought to me, tenderness, love, and protection, that even in the midst of some of these really hard things, my parents always gave tenderness, love, and protection. And Scott, as I, as I read this poem, and I went, but you brought gifts also, that you, you brought energy. And yes, we had... I think four kids at the time that your mom passed, but the the seven kids that came <laughs> that spent a lot of time with us. And I remember that first summer where we'd stop at your house every day, pick you all up, we'd go to the pool, I'd bring you all home, and um, we'd just spend the afternoon together. And they were joyful, joyful times that... You know, there's an exchange that takes place. There, I just think so often a gift is given, and in the giving of that gift, a gift is received. And especially if it's a gift of the heart, that there's always a gift that's received back. And we received so many gifts. I, I think you make a good point in that you were young. You didn't see all of that that was taking place, mm -hmm. but... But I think there was so much that that you gave, not realizing what you were giving, and that each of you gave, and the the fun, the sometimes naughty behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when Rich and I? Um, I was older than Rich, so it's probably my fault. 
But you guys got that phone bill one. Oh, yeah. oh, it, it was it was even worse than that. It was, I was having a a, a release society meeting upstairs. <laughs> is what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going. What are these charges? <laughs> We were able to get them reversed. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what it was, we saw on TV like this date dating line, but I, and uh, um, so we just started. We dialed that dating line, and I'm, I'm roping Rich in, but it's probably just me, and he was just you know along for the ride. But we'd call that line, and you know we never got past. Well, I didn't think it was charging anything, and then we would just think, okay, well we'd look at the numbers on the phone and spell words. One, and there were 900 numbers, one 900, and then we'd spell a word and every, like every call went through to something and <laughs> we just thought, ah, that was fun. That was harmless fun. <laughs> and, um, but you know, what's funny is cause they're all dating lines. And so when uncle Russ came to talk to me about it, I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> um, so rich and I, <laughs> but his, his question, uncle Russ's question to me was, so I just, I just want to know, what did your date look like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, just another example, you know, just it, unconditional uh-huh. love. Just uh, yeah, kindness. well, and, and I, that reminds me of another time when Heather had asked, your sister Heather asked mm-hmm. if she should read this book that I had just finished reading. Stephen King. No, it wasn't. I'm not even going to say who it was or anything because (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, there were three really, really explicit um, sex scenes in this book. And I just don't think it's appropriate for a 14-year-old to be reading. And I went to do some errands and I came back and I think she and your sister, Melissa, and yourself, and my son, Matt, and Rich, <laughs> she'd found those three <laughs> spots and read them all to you. <laughs> She's a fast reader. I'm sure she didn't go oh, looking for them. Oh, I'm sure she didn't. I'm sure she just yeah. zipped through the book. <laughs> yeah, and then she just came across them, and she was reading those to us, like, avoid this type of literature. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> she was teaching a good example. That's, that's Heather. That is Heather. Yeah. Um. You, you mentioned something that I, you know, how like even, even, I mean, to, to kind of carry the uh, metaphor, the analogy, you know, even during the hard times, your parents uh, were still beacons for you. And, you know, you think of a lighthouse, that's the very purpose of a lighthouse. A lighthouse is a beacon. And that's the very purpose of it is in those stormy weather when you can't see the shore anymore is to provide that light so that these mariners know where the land is so they can travel safely on into the harbor. And so I think what you explained is, uh, you know, fits really well. Well, and, and, you know, when we were talking earlier too about, you know, all the comparisons you can make with a beacon, you know, Mm -hmm. the light and all this. And, and the, the thing that I keep coming back to is a lighthouse it always stands firm. Mm-hmm. And and I think that this is what a person who's a beacon in your life, they are always there. They are steady. They are firm. They are, it, they're solid. Um, but not perfect. But not perfect. Um, well, and they, they're perfect in that. I, I would say that, uh, you know, I tell this to my kids all the time, like, 
I make lots of mistakes, but I will always own my mistakes. I will, and I try to apologize with specificity. So even though a beacon, I mean, that's another way. I mean, when, when, you know, we're not perfect, but. You're we, a perfect beacon though. You're, you're true. always I see what you're saying. there. Yeah. yeah. And you're, no, I agree you're always solid, you know, and yeah, you, uh, uh, Hey, none of us would be here if we were perfect. Mm. So we, you know, we don't have to be perfect. We can be perfect in just, I mean, cause even in the act of apologizing, you're being a beacon. Yes. You're showing like, listen, I love you. You did, you know, even, even in, in getting upset over, I mean, yeah. something that, that a child may do, or, you know, even your own frustration, you're still loving them. You're still loving them unconditionally. Yeah. You're still, and I, 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 I'm. I can I share that story of of my friend? Yeah, of course. Because please. I, I just thought that was such a good example of what beacons my parents were, where I had a friend in ninth grade, and we were such good friends. And she'd come down to the house all the time. I went up to her house a couple times, not a whole lot. She came down all the time. All of a sudden, summer between ninth and tenth grade. She disappeared. I had no idea where she was. About five years ago, I was at the store, and she came up, and she said, Cash, is that you? And I'm like, I have no idea who you are. She tells me who she is, and I said, where have you been? I said, I have wondered where you went my whole life because you all of a sudden disappeared. And she said, you know, my mom would just get married, and all of a sudden she was gone. And we, that summer, she met some guy, she moved to Provo, and, you know, this is pre-cell phones, mm. this is, you know, 1965, no 67, somewhere in there, and she was gone. She said, I had no way of telling anybody that I was leaving, and this is kind of how my life was. And she said, but going and visiting at your home I saw how your parents were with each other, and I went, that's the kind of marriage I want to have. And guess what? I got it. <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, here it is, 55 years later that I run into her and find out what an impression she has made on what my impression my parents have made on her life because they were beacons. And and sometimes we're beacons and we don't even know it. I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot and since you've asked me to do this. And really, as, as I've read this poem, and how can I be a beacon? What can I do more? What, what is it that makes a person be a beacon? And we were talking about my brother John, right. who passed away this past summer. And... I mean, what a beacon he was to so many people. There, there were, uh, oh, probably a thousand people at his funeral, and easily, easily, and and that was in person. Who knows online, mm -hmm. and and all the different parts of his life. I mean, the paths that he took. He just touched so many people well, in the crowd so many was not a, 
was not a homogenous crowd. I mean, they were from all walks of life. Exactly. And, and he, so many of them would say, oh, he was my best friend. I ran into a guy at church a couple weeks after the, in fact, he sent, he sent me a, a letter and, and I had no idea. He knew my brother and he said, oh, I loved your brother. He, I worked with him in the industry for years and he was one of my best friends. Hmm. And I had no idea they even knew each other. I mean, this is the kind of impact. He would, he would go up to somebody, and, and this is, I think one of his kids talked about it, like his kids would have friends over, and he'd go, oh, go get a hamburger, and he'd give them $20. Uh, even, even, you know, your experience right. with him. Uh, <laughs> did we share that last time? I don't remember if we did. I don't think so. Yeah, because um, interestingly, like I remember, because uh, I knew who he was, I mean, I I talked to him before, you know, at your, your white family gathering. I mean, our, our, you know, our paths don't cross a whole lot because right. it's the other side of the family. Right, right. But so, you know, we got married in 2000 and on our way to our honeymoon in Hawaii, we were in the Los Angeles airport and there we run into John and I think it was Jake was with him. And we just started talking to him and told him that we got married. And he's like, Oh man, he started joking with me as he always does. Like, Oh, I, you know, the, the invitation must've been lost in the mail, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't make it, you know? And, and then he opens his wallet and gives us 50 bucks. Um, and just says, congratulations. And what's, well, two things. One, he recognized me and we didn't have a lot of interactions, but he still recognized me. And two, he came up to me, even though, we didn't have this strong connection. He still came up to me to talk to me. And, and actually three, that was, that was one experience. And I almost kind of felt initially like, yeah, that was nice of him. And I wondered like, uh, you know, I wondered if he just like, didn't feel like he could do anything else, but no, that was genuine. That was him because Whenever I would see him after that, he would talk to me and he would always, we would always joke about not getting the invitation. You know, it was always, it was a running joke. He knew who I was and I saw him like outside of interacting with you and your family. I would, I would run into him, you know, in town or something and we would always chat for a minute. And so I knew that he knew who I was and that he genuinely like cared about me and that I was you know, important to him is, you know, as much as, you know, some other person he sees, you know, so that, that was, uh, yeah, that was your brother. Yes. And, and the, and the way he, I just feel like we could learn a lot from him, mm -hmm. I, the way he, he would reach out and go to anybody that looked familiar and okay. And I, and I think he remembered people too, really well. And he, remembered things about them and would keep that connection. And a lot of times he'd act like I should know them too. Go, <laughs> Put you in a spot. No, I don't think I know that person. And, no, no, Cash, let's go see uh, him. Come on, come on. Yeah, and then I'd go, oh, I guess I didn't meet that person and I really should have known him more than I thought I did. Mm -hmm. And and But it's like John almost knew what the connection was better because he was a beacon because he was so aware of people and he just, I think he had a really good memory of people and their stations and 
who they were, what they did, all that kind of thing. I thought it was fascinating at the funeral that they did a standing ovation at the end of the funeral. Yeah, I had to leave because I didn't realize it was going to be what a you said. A three-hour yeah. funeral. So I had to leave, but you <laughs> did tell me it was a standing ovation. Um, like I mentioned earlier, though, that every people in that crowd were from all walks of life. And for me, I feel like, like when I think of, um, he was accepting of everybody where they were. Yes. He, you did not have to be towing some line. You did not have to be a certain way for him to pull you in and become part of his circle. He was, he was drawing that circle around everybody and that to me because as i've been you know over these last few years as as i've really started to tackle these issues that have been plaguing me my whole life that i didn't even realize what they were you know i just thought i was not trying hard enough or i just needed to do this and i'm starting to understand this these uh issues that i've got from my childhood that have really been plaguing me um as i've looked into as I've started to really dig down, I, I, I see that at the core of that is really um, an insecurity with myself, like my authentic self, like not feeling like it's okay to be myself. Um, and so I abandoned myself a lot as I was growing up. I, I, I can look back at my life and I can see it time and time again where I just tried to reflect what other people wanted me to be so that I could be accepted by them rather than expressing honest opinions or or doing things the way I wanted to do them or question asking questions that I wanted to ask I would refrain from all of that until unless I felt like it was safe to do it um, I would and, and even then I just kind of created this persona you know, in one of my poems I wrote on becoming a black hole I, I, I likened it to, to wearing a mask of mirrors where I just reflected back what people wanted me to be and that and then I get their approval and that would kind of um, that would give me the energy the the accept you know that their acceptance of being who they wanted me to be gave me what I needed to continue moving um, and so so you know to make that long explanation short as I was growing up, I, I look back now and I recognize that a lot of my problems at the core of that is just a loss of self, a loss of knowing, you know, abandoning myself. But when I look at your brother John, he as a beacon, he didn't care who you were. He, you could be yourself around him. And he was big enough to bring you in. And his, he had a big tent, you know? Yes. And, and, and you know, really, Scott, I, I think a lot, he never did abandon himself. And, and once you have recognized it, can you now step back and say, you know what? I really did do good things. I'm really a good person. I have been a beacon to a lot of people. You just, because you abandoned yourself, you lost sight of that. Right. And, and I, I love the, the line here, too. These beacons were extinguished, it seemed, until they flamed up again, but now on your horizon. And sometimes I think we have to just 
look at our horizon and say, what's on my horizon? What is my beacon? How is it shining? Where is it shining? Who am I giving light to? And, and, and it's in me. I'm, I'm still, I do have all of these good qualities. You know, you've got the same great qualities John has. We all do. We just maybe didn't have the confidence John had. True. Or did, you know, do, do most of us abandon, our, abandon ourselves a little bit in, mm-hmm. in different ways? And, um, I mean, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. And yet... A lot of people who know me well go, oh, there's no way you're an introvert <laughs> because I'm in that camp because listen to me because here I am going blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, but when I get in uncomfortable situations, then I go, okay, don't make me do this. This is not going to mm-hmm. be fun. And I have to push through it. Right. And, and so, but I go, is the genuine me, this introvert, even though I really like people, but I'd rather just observe them than have to interact with people that I don't know. But in the meantime, John had no, I think half of my siblings are introverts and half are extroverts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just interesting to see that dynamic play out that John could he could, like you say, he could talk to anybody in any in any walk of life. Yeah, and I think I think um, I think it's the ability, you know, because in my in my mind, when I think, okay, you know, what are what are the characteristics of somebody who is a beacon? Somebody like when I think of you, and I think of Uncle Russ, in my. Um, Estimate, or when I consider that question, it's it, to me it, it doesn't come. You know, I don't factor in introvert or extrovert. What I factor in is the comfort level I feel around you in expressing what I really feel. Yes. And I've felt that around you. I, I don't remember if I expressed. I don't know if I remember if I shared this during this recording or the one that we scrapped earlier, <laughs> but, um, we had some know, good stuff on that. We, <laughs> we, we did, we did, but you know, it's gone now. Um, I, you know, well, like the time last, you know, a few years ago when I met with uncle Russ and, and he said, I was having a really, really low point in my life or, or my life. It was just really, I mean, it was a very bad day. And, I remember him sitting down with me and just saying, before we start talking, I just want you to know that there's nowhere else in the world that I'd rather be than here with you talking. And I felt like, okay, he loves me and he is willing to hear everything I have to say, regardless of what it is. And to me, I just knew he loved me regardless, you know, and I've had a lot of conversations with you, you know, in, in, in a similar vein. And I, I don't, f- I don't feel like I have to censor myself. Um, and that to me, the ability, like, I, I guess for me, like 
you know, I would like to be a beacon to other people, starting with my children. And I want them to know that I love them and accept them regardless of their decisions that they make in their life. And now I will give them advice. I will talk to them and I will listen to them. But for me, the, the benefit to me has been that, because like I was saying earlier, like, so at the core of this, these problems I've been dealing with in my life is my, my disconnect from my, what, what, what I'll call my authentic self. I feel like that's kind of a trendy word now, but that's what it is. Uh, you know, a disconnect where I don't ask questions that I feel like I want to ask because that might put me out of favor with somebody. You know, so I, I refrain from asking this question or I refrain from expressing this opinion or I refrain from doing this or that or I proactively do these types of things because those will bring me into favor with somebody. And so I'm not acting on. I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm not being myself. I'm being what, like I said earlier, what I want other people to want other people, what I think other people want me to be. And. So I, I have this disconnect from myself, and then I have this emptiness in me, this this feeling of this this un this part of me that feels dead almost because that's I've never really become that person, and so when I'm around somebody who I feel comfortable with, you know, expressing myself, whether it's right or wrong at least talking about it, having a conversation with somebody without judgment, without fear of retribution or without fear of being cut off. Um, that to me is like the most valuable gift that I can receive. And because that's how I learn and I grow, you know, cause maybe some of these things I want to ask, maybe the answer is you already knew the answer, but I asked it and now I know it, you know, which is what a lot of times, the answer, you know, you know the answer. Right. But expressing it out loud, but, but you know, going to to this, your, you know, authentic self. Mm -hmm. Your, I, I'm going to step back a little to your mom okay. because I feel like she, and, and you know, we talked about this on our scrapped one, but the the beacon that I feel your mom was, and is this part of how you, maybe, lost your authentic self ten years old. And all of a sudden, here is this beacon who, I mean, your mom was a beacon to a lot of people, and we had a great relationship. It was really heartbreaking for me when we received that phone call that she had died suddenly and with, with no warning, uh, which I think you even say that in, in your poem, you know, that horizon went dark in an instant without warning, mm -hmm. and it was she sits up in bed and she gasps and she was gone and and yet she had had some prior almost warnings that something was wrong right and she 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 had i think a doctor appointment the next week or she had missed one or something uh and she was just you know she said how she was she'd sent me a letter the month before she passed away, that she was doing much better and knew it was through the power of the priesthood and fasting and prayers of her family that she was still here. And I, I just think she, 
she, I think the Lord was a very strong beacon for your mom. Mm -hmm. And I think she shared that with you children. And she loved you kids so much. In every letter she ever wrote me, I mean, she would talk about how much, and she said, I love my little family so much. And then said in parentheses, you feel the same way about yours, so you understand. <laughs> and I, I just think that at such an impressionable age for you was that beacon taken away. And, and I think your dad was in such turmoil trying to figure out what he was supposed to do next. You didn't get that ability to just discuss with him anything like you had been able to with your mom. And so all of a sudden, you don't have either parent that you can talk to. You, you don't have that, you know, you said you felt this emptiness. You don't have anybody that you can now just throw anything out and nobody's going to judge you for anything you're saying. And, and you know, how much of an effect does that have on a person when they have a parent, especially a mother, a nurturer, someone who uh, you've been able to share anything with and you just feel complete, unconditional love from, how much does that affect your whole future going forward? and in even ways that you don't even realize for years. And I just feel like there's a lot of compensation that takes place in the hereafter for people who go through what you have gone through. That may be the case. And um, I, I do know that I want to, to um, work on whatever those, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I want to progress and, and, and look at the, because you're right, I didn't recognize the impact of losing my mother had on me as a 10-year-old boy. I just, you know, like on, on one poem that I, I, I wrote, it's called uh, A Subtle Wound, you know, the, 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 the point of that poem was, Yes, my mom died, but there was really, it was just like, at the, I ended the poem by saying that uh, um, the wound of losing my mom, the wound went unnoticed. There was no nervous response or reflexive recoil, as when you touch a hot pan. It was subtle, no bleeding, no blistered flesh, just a change in routine and one less setting at the table. And that's how I felt about it when I was 10 years old we didn't talk about my mom's death so I didn't I, I I just felt like okay we just move on now you know there's just one less person and we move on and I never dealt with it never worked through it and so I began to cope you know in, in ways that kids do to try to avoid that emptiness that I didn't know how to find answers to and I didn't know who to talk to um and that's part of the that, and so for me, when I was that little boy, you know, that's where I found some respite 
you know, when I'm with you and Uncle Russ. And, you know, I, I mentioned in our last podcast, my friend Brian Arnick's parents, they were very welcoming to me as well. Mm-hmm. And they treated me like family. Um, and I know they did that too for, for a lot of their children's friends. They're, you know, they're much like you and Uncle Russ in that sense. Um, and so, but what I, like, the beacon that you guys were to me, I, I recognize now, I didn't recognize at the time, at the time, I, like I said earlier, it was just, I like this. This is comfortable here. I well, and for you, it was, like you say, one less person at the table. For me, it was seven more people at the table, yeah. and it was like a party. <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah, so that's the gift that I gave to you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and then a 400-something dollar phone bill. Um <laughs> So that was removed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll see what I can do about that. Um, but, but yeah, so that, so when I think about you, you guys, even though I, as a child, I mean, I, I didn't understand what had happened, but I, and I also didn't understand precisely what it was that you were giving to me, but I felt it and I did receive it. And as I grew older, I received it time and time again from you. I, in fact, I remember, um, in 1998, I think it was even May, May of 1998, um, I, was, I, 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 had, I wasn't living with you guys at this time, but I went out to Hawaii to visit uh, a friend of mine, and we had been emailing back and forth, and you know, I went out with the, I'd known her before, um, before when I lived there, I, I, I had met her after I graduated from high school and we were just friends, but then she was, you know, I was living in, I got off my mission. We were living in Nevada, Las Vegas, and her grandparents lived in uh, Boulder city. And so she came out a couple of times. I would go visit her in Boulder city and we'd hang out. And then she wanted, went on a, an LDS mission to Korea, I believe. And so we would email each other back and forth. And then we just kind of started talking about, Hey, well maybe, you know, maybe there's something here, you know? And so I went out to spend time with her to kind of see, and I talked to you about it and it didn't work. And it was, I got out there and it was kind of, a um, things, feelings had changed on her part. I didn't really understand that, you know, and I got back and I, I remember telling you about it and I remember you, I could see exactly where you were. You were in your kitchen there in the house on uh, um, there in North Salt Lake, and you were uh, by the trash compactor. And I remember I told you that I went out there, and you know she wasn't really interested in spending time with me. And and I remember you looked at me. I don't remember the exact words you said, but the feeling was, I hate her. <laughs> I don't think you said I hate her, but it was like you were upset. <laughs> you were upset how she treated me. And I remember just like feeling like, wow, I've got somebody on my side. You know, because I, mean, I, I was just like, eh, whatever. It's just part of life and move on. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel enough to be, um, I, I just, did, I just didn't consider how hurtful it was to me. And then, I remember you saying that, and I thought, "Oh, yeah, that you care about me, you know." <laughs> and I remember that that made an impression on me, um, and that just kind of further was that beacon where I felt love and I felt unconditional love. Um, 
you know, that's just another example of that. And, and so I, when I think about beacons, I feel like it's, you loved me regardless, you know? Still do. And I love you. <laughs> I love you and always will. And I needed that um, maybe more than most 10-year-olds did at the time, you know? I recognized my dad was in a really difficult situation. You know, things weren't, I, I mean, it was hard for him. And I didn't get the love and attention that a 10-year-old, none of my brothers and sisters did, that we should have gotten. Right. But I understand that it was a difficult time for him. Um, and so with you and Uncle Russ, that, you know, we didn't, we were, we were only here for two years, you know, afterwards. And then we moved to California, then Illinois. And I, and I came back a couple summers mm-hmm. and stayed with you. And then we went to Hawaii and then, so we didn't have a lot of interactions, but that love that I felt from you, I always knew that you and Uncle Russ loved me and cared about me. And I always not just knew it, I felt it. I always would talk about my Uncle Russ and Aunt Cash. And so that when I say at the end of that poem, you know, you brought it to me unconditionally and ad infinitum. That's how I feel. I mean, that's really how I feel. And you did. You brought it to me without waiting. You know, you didn't wait. You just brought it to me. And you offered it up to me and my siblings. And I know it's not just us that you, you've done that for. You know, I've, I've seen you interact with your children's friends, you know, and, and, and shown love to them. And now you've got your grandbabies and who are getting married, by the way. Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, you're, not my, you're my Aunt Cash. You're not I'm great not, grandma Cash. I'm not old enough to do that. No, no, no. <laughs> you're not ready. You're not old enough to add great to grandma yet. That's right. I am a great. You are grandma. great. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, family history style, not old enough to say great grandma. You, yeah, yeah. you, you are a great grandma. Yes. A wonderful but not a great grandma. grandma. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Not yet, but it's coming. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, so in my life, you know, I want to be the type of person. Like, I, I guess so when I think about myself being a beacon, I want to be, I want to be somebody who, is available to people who you know starting with my kids I want my kids to know that they can come to me with anything and that I love them and there's no conditions on my love for them and I, I tell them all the time that you know regardless of what's going on there's a you know my my uh my door, my heart, and my ears are always open, regardless. And I want that, and I don't want to just say that. I want it to be, and it's hard sometimes. Felt. I want it to be felt. And it's hard sometimes because it's hard, you know. Well, I think they need to know you don't always have to agree with them. Right. That, that, it, that it can be hard and that you may choose different lifestyle, but mm-hmm. you're still strong. Right. You're still that steady beacon. They can come to you. They can know that you love them unconditionally. You are yeah. always there. And I think that's important too, just that steadiness, like you said, because 
I, I don't know that it's as helpful to have somebody who's just wishy-washy and just, you know, says whatever, you know, and, and I tell my kids, I can't fix your problems always. All right. I don't have the answer or solution, but you don't have to worry by yourselves. You don't have to be afraid by yourselves. I can at least sit with you in your fear and your worry and we'll sit there together, you know? And I, and I think for me, that's what I want to be. I want to be, you know, I, I have a nephew who's approached me and he came to me because he was struggling. He didn't know what else to talk to. And I thought, Uncle Russ. And I actually even used those words. I just want you to know that there's nowhere else I'd rather be than right here with you. And, you know, he's a, he's a magnificent kid, amazing kid. And I was honored, I guess is the word, that he thought to come and talk to me, you know. And that's where I say that, you know, where you say the gifts you brought to me, that he brought you a gift. Yes, he did. And he, he brought that to me at a time when I needed to know. You were of value. Yes, exactly. And he didn't know that. He didn't know that's right. what he was doing. He was just like out of his mind, scared. And he came to me. And that came at a time when I needed to understand that. And he helped me understand that. So, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. And I just want to be a beacon, continue being a beacon to people, you know, reaching out there. Figure out how we can do it. Yeah. It makes a difference. It does. Because this life can get tough and hard. And I think sometimes you just need somebody who, something as simple as somebody who will just listen and not say anything, just listen to you and hold you and just know, not even hold you, just someone who will listen to you. And you can know that you can express whatever to them and that they love you and respect you regardless of what you say or do. And that's that their love for you is bigger than any of that. So, and you and Uncle Russ have done that for me and I love you for that. And I will always love you for that. And it's been a joy for us. We've, loved you we've loved all your siblings you're you are family and i feel that so i'm glad you joined me again well thank you yeah it's been my pleasure and i thank everybody who listened to this episode and um i'm still trying to figure out how to say this part but if you listen on Apple or Spotify or something, you can like and subscribe. So if any of you uh, are so inclined, I would appreciate that. Anyway, thanks for listening.